Welcome back to another episode of Can't Trust Those Niggas. I'm sorry. Power Hour with Free Royal, I, of course, and Free Royal, your host, as always. And man, oh man, we are here to mourn the death of the Boston Celtics season 2022-2023. Man. And maybe we may be mourning the death of the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum era. Look, I'm going to cut straight to the chase. We are not talking about anything else today. But the Boston Celtics. That's it. There's not going to be no things on my mind. Ain't going to be no finals preview because I already told y'all I'm not watching that shit. We ain't going to talk about Mike Malone bitching about the Lakers or the coverage of the Lakers. We're not talking about that. Nope. We're going to talk about the hometown team, the Boston Celtics. And look, today, maybe some of you will get a history lesson. But I'm going to take y'all back down memory lane for those of you who do know this story. And we're going to talk about really this entire, you know, last five or however many years, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, where it all started. So do me a favor, please like, share and subscribe. Share this with your friends, share this with your family, share this with your side chick, share this with your sugar daddy, whoever the fuck listens to podcasts, share this with them. And even if they don't listen to podcasts, smack the fuck out of them and tell them to listen to this. All right. So I don't really have a plan for how exactly I'm going to break all of this down, because quite frankly, the only notes I have are of last night's game. But because I have, in my opinion, a pretty good memory, I can give you the Cliff Notes version of really what the Celtics have been for the better part of the last four or five years. Now, as we stand, this is 2023 this is the end of the 2023 season okay I'm gonna go a bit further back than the Kyrie era we're gonna start with the Isaiah Thomas era okay 
Now, Brad Stevens gets hired as head coach by trader Danny himself, Danny Ainge. Okay. You guys now know Brad Stevens as the basically the head of basketball operations for the Celtics. For those of you who've been who were living under a rock for all those years prior. Um he was the Celtics head coach. Brad Stevens had a great career at Butler. Uh his team almost pulled off one of the greatest upsets in the history of college basketball against Duke in the national championship game. And man, was that really, when you think about it in college basketball terms, a stacked Duke team, Quinn Cook and Justice Winslow and Jaleel Okafor, pretty damn good team. Um, Grayson Allen was a freshman, I believe. Really good team. Okay, so basically, Brad Stevens gets hired as head coach. Some people question it. I was cautiously optimistic I knew of his work at Butler and he's a very good coach didn't quite know how professional players would respond to a college coach because that always ends up sort of being an issue you know um a lot of times when a college coach when a college coach rather comes in they try to treat the players like they're college players which you can't do that right these guys are on salary these guys are on contracts they're not fucking college kids just getting out the house getting out of their parents house and fucking you know coming to college and they're beholden to you and your team policies and all that other bullshit they no bro these are grown-ass men all right so the 2016-2017 season i believe was brad stevens first season um marcus smart avery bradley Terry Rozier, Al Horford, Jalen Brown. This was their core, led by Isaiah Thomas. Five foot nine, explosive Isaiah Thomas, who up to that point had shown some flashes of, you know, having a shit ton of talent scoring a basketball, but the way he exploded in Boston was amazing. So. You know, Jalen Brown got taken as the third pick, I believe. There were a lot of people questioning that. Not many people really knew who Jalen Brown was coming out of Cal. It was a pretty questionable pick. And before that, Marcus Smart had been taken in the draft, and he was a damn good player in college. He was, um, I don't know if he was National Player of the Year, but he was definitely um, a finalist, I think, his last year in college at Oklahoma State. Really good basketball player great defender but he was a scorer in college too he was a really good pickup um so you know brad stevens comes in he's coaching this team al horford gets signed for had to be like 80 million dollars back when 80 million dollars was kind of a lot of money and he to me didn't really pan out as that other cornerstone of the franchise he just never really did. He wasn't physical enough in the paint. You know, you're not signing a guy to have 14 and 8 to that amount of money. He's averaging 14 points and 8 boards on a team where nobody else is really picking up the offensive load other than Isaiah Thomas. So that, it, it was questionable, right? It was shaky, but at the same time, Isaiah Thomas elevated this team, especially with that fourth quarter IT run, which we'll get into. But 
Isaiah Thomas really elevated this team to levels that people did not see coming. I mean, the dude was, he was a monster. You couldn't keep him out of the paint. He was great in pick and roll. Great pull-up, you know, mid-range. Great pull-up from three. Could pull-up in transition. Could pull-up off of screens. Um, Incredibly shifty. Great handle. Could finish at the basket. Through contact, even at 5'9". Kid was a problem. Okay, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown was raw. Jalen Brown couldn't really shoot the ball, couldn't dribble the ball, and, you know, we'll get to that later. Um, Because it still seems like that's an issue for him. Uh, But, you know, couldn't really handle the ball, couldn't really isolate and and, and get his own shot. Jalen Brown was a very raw, athletic player. He could finish at the basket sometimes, not really through contact so much, really just around contact. Um, and that was the team, right? And they went and they, they beat the Bulls in the first round, I believe. And, you know, they, they ended up, no, I'm sorry. They beat, yeah, they, they beat the Bulls in the first round. IT got hurt. He hurt his hip against Washington. And when he hurt his hip against Washington, it was a really, really severe injury that I don't think a lot of people, Knew was as severe as it was. was. So So when he got hurt, you know, it was kind of like a hit pointer. And it's funny because when he ended up getting traded, I think Danny Ainge really covered up how hurt he was because when he was in Cleveland, he never really was right. But he got hurt. He's basically a shell of himself in that Cleveland series, and that's when LeBron marched in to Boston and, you know, stole that game seven. With, you know, Chetty Osmond and fucking Jeff Green as his two best players. But that was the next year. Let's talk about 2016-2017. You know, IT balled out, right? So, after that season, because because Trader Danny had done a pretty good job of getting some picks for KG and Paul Pierce when he traded those old niggas away to the Brooklyn Nets, Boston had a chance in the lottery to get another top three pick. They end up getting Jason Tatum with that top three pick the very next year. Now Tatum's a rookie. Jalen Brown's a second year guy. Smart's pretty young. Isaiah Thomas is um, traded in the offseason for Kyrie Irving. Now, they also signed Gordon Hayward in that offseason. So the big three was supposed to be Kyrie Irving, Isaiah, well, I'm sorry, Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford, right? They feel like they felt like they had already kind of maxed out Isaiah Thomas's usefulness thanks to him hurting his fucking hip. And Trader Danny, of course, did some shiesty ass shit, probably undershot how bad that injury was, ends up trading for Kyrie Irving. Great, whatever. They trade for Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie Irving comes and really proves that he can play pure point guard and he can still be that lethal scorer that he is. Gordon Hayward breaks his fucking ankle opening night, which just was a gut shot. Um, Opening night against Cleveland, that was a gut shot. Just fucking destroys his ankle on a lob that shouldn't have been thrown, quite frankly. Um, and you know, it just, it, 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 
it deflated Boston fans for a little bit because it just felt like, you know, you're getting a guy that is a really smart player. He, you know, promotes the trend within the lineup of ball movement and he can get his own shot. He can rebound. He can defend. Gordon Hayward was kind of a do-it-all player. And when he breaks his fucking ankle on open night, it just, it, it sucked. But Kyrie Irving basically carried that team to the playoffs. And until he got hurt, I'm convinced they were going to win the championship that year. That's my belief. They played Golden State. They played Golden State damn good. They played them hard. Stephen Curry had nothing for Kyrie Irving, which we already knew defensively. Boston had everything that they needed to win a championship that year. I would go to my grave believing they were going to win a championship. Now, here's where things get sketchy. So you have a first-year guy, Jason Tatum. You got a second-year guy, Jalen Brown. You got Terry Rozier with some gas on his chest. When Kyrie Irving gets hurt, they go and they beat Milwaukee. Terry Rozier outplays Eric Bledsoe for an entire series, and they start puffing their chest out. In my opinion, they believe that they did not need Kyrie Irving at that point. These are young guys getting thrown into the fire, having to all of a sudden play a lot more minutes, take a lot more shots, carry the load for a team where Kyrie Irving was basically orchestrating and spoon-feeding them really everything as far as buckets because he was the do-it-all point guard on that team. They end up losing to LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers in a Game 7 on their home floor, which, funny enough, just happened last night. Spoiler alert. Um, LeBron goes off. He scores like fucking, I don't know, 45, 48. He, 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 he fucking dominated that game. One of the greatest Game 7 performances ever. And um, it was against these little puppies, right? So nobody gives him credit. Go figure. Anyway, come back the next year. Now, all of a sudden, there's chemistry issues. Now, all of a sudden, Terry Rozier has complained about minutes. Now, all of a sudden, Jason Tatum doesn't want to defer. Now, all of a sudden, Jalen Brown doesn't want to defer. And nothing is working out as far as the chemistry of this team to the point where Kyrie Irving is saying certain things in the media that people are bashing him about. And before we go any further into that season, let's remember that, yes, Boston fans hold this over Kyrie's head forever, that he said, yeah, I want to be here. I want to stay here. I'm going to resign here, blah, 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 blah. Little did they know there was a lot of shit changing behind the scenes that caused him to sort of be pushed out of this fucking organization and wanting out. Kyrie Irving admitted during the course of the season that, okay, yeah, he wanted his own team leaving Cleveland. He didn't understand quite how hard it was. And he said, look, you know, LeBron, I'm sorry. I did not know how hard it was to lead a team. You have a unique situation. You have guys that are drafted high on a good team. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, the young guys playing valuable minutes on a team where they overachieved and beat the Bucks and just assumed, oh, you know, we got to figure it out now. They didn't. Kyrie Irving stinks up the joint in an elimination game against the Bucks. Everybody feels like Brad Stevens has pretty much lost the team. But more importantly, everybody feels like the Kyrie Irving situation is just getting really toxic. And look, I went to a couple games that year. I can attest to that. Much like the offense nowadays, when one guy has the ball isolated and dribbling the air out of it, whether it's Kyrie or Jason Tatum 
or Jalen Brown, the other is just standing there. That's what the rest of them are doing. There's no actual cohesive ball ball movement coming from a guy, uh, Brad Stevens, that had a great offense that they were not buying into. They were taking bad shots. They were isolating. They were making everything about themselves. Kyrie Irving saw this toxic situation, saw the fans blame him for that elimination game, and he said, fucking him out. Right. There's this revisionist history where we act like Kyrie ran from something or that he didn't have a reason to leave. He was pushed out. Terry Rozier was literally fighting with minutes, fighting with Kyrie Irving over minutes, bitching about it. Are you fucking kidding me? Terry Rozier and Kyrie Irving. Okay, cool. So Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker gets here. All of a sudden, all right, great. We replaced Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker. We had the nerve as Boston Celtics fans, not me, but I've watched a lot of these idiots around here with their dumbass Boston accents say that Kemba Walker was a better replacement to Kyrie Irving. How'd that work out in the bubble? How'd that work out in the bubble when Kemba Walker basically influenced, in my opinion, once again, this is just one man's opinion, influenced shitty shot selection with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are now second year, I'm sorry, third year and fourth year guys taking terrible shots because now they're allowed to because now they're kind of grandfathered in. Kemba Walker taking bad transition threes, so they started doing it. Now Brad's really lost the team. Danny Ainge wanted Brad to be the coach. He handpicked him. But at this point, it was clear he was not the coach for that team. Okay, I mean, this is the history of this core that I'm telling you right now. This is the history. I'm trying to paint this picture for you guys. Okay? Jalen Brown gets drafted. He's playing major minutes on a team that had IT and Al Horford, who was supposed to be you know, the second best player on the team. Jalen Brown has to grow quickly. The next year they draft Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is playing big minutes. Kyrie Irving gets hurt. So the year after that, now Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, they think they got it figured out. So they push the guy out that really led them to that point, that deep in the playoffs, or to even have the playoff position to go deep in the playoffs. Okay, but the common theme here is they think they have it figured out. They believe in their minds. They have it figured out. So now they start tuning Brad Stevens out. Let's fast forward. So, you know, they start tuning Brad Stevens out, right? He's lost the team. Okay, they give up a lead to the heat in the bubble. That was another great opportunity for them to win a championship. They blew it. With bad shot selection, bad turnovers, led by their veteran, Kemba Walker, who everybody claimed was better than Kyrie Irving for the team. How'd that work out? It didn't. Okay, so where are we at now? So let's get to let's get to 2020. I believe this was Brad Stevens last year as head coach, if I'm not mistaken. Once again, I'm not looking this shit up because I have a pretty decent memory. Y'all can correct me in the comment section if I've gotten anything wrong so far. I'm pretty pretty sure I, I haven't. Okay. 
2020, Kemba Walker's hurt. He needs his knee drained. He doesn't play much that year. Ingratiate him, or I should say integrate him back into the lineup. It doesn't really work. He's a shell of himself. Okay, he just is. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are taking every bad shot under the fucking sun in 2021. And I mean every single bad shot you could fucking think of. These niggas were taking step back jump shots over double teams. It was fucking terrible. I think they started out the season against the Knicks, and I think combined they missed like 23s. Combined, just the two of them. One was like 1 for 10, the other was like 0 for 9 or some shit like that. Fucking deplorable. To the point that they got to um, they got to the halfway point of the season, and Mike Gorman, longtime commentator of the Boston Celtics, said, and I quote, all-stars make their teammates better. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum did not make their teammates better. They thought they had it figured out. This was the death nail to Brad Stevens. He had lost the team two years before that. But Danny Ainge gave him so much rope that he just eventually got to the point where we knew Brad Stevens was gone. We didn't know what he was going to do after that. We didn't know if he was going to go to another franchise or just transition into another role. But that season just never felt like they were going to be able to compete. Now you have Marcus Smart as a primary ball handler, right? Before it was Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas, and Kemba Walker. Now Marcus Smart is your fucking point guard. Okay? It was not, it was not going to work. Okay, the common denominator here, tuning out the coach, thinking thinking you have everything figured out, not fixing your issues as basketball players. Mentally, you know, there's vets on the team, but that didn't really matter. That didn't really matter. Okay, they finished 36 and 36. This team consisted of Mo Wagner, a rookie Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Tristan fucking Thompson, Jeff Teague, Peyton Pritchard was there, Jabari Parker came for a cup of coffee, Romeo Langford was drafted, and that never panned out, Carson Edwards was drafted, that never panned out, this was the team, 36 and 36, they actually made the playoffs that year, but this was back when the East was fucking garbage. So, of course, they made the playoffs at 36 and 36. They hobbled their way to the playoffs because at the end of the season, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown basically got hot, essentially, and took every bad shot under the sun. But because they were hot in their offensively talented players, you know, they got into the playoffs. And they got fucking smoked by the Brooklyn Nets annihilated by the Brooklyn Nets. It was bad, okay? These were the series score these were game scores. Game 1 104 to 93, game 2 130 to 108, game th- uh game th- uh, that was game 2. Game 3 uh 125 to 119, the Celtics eat that one out and game 4 141 to 126 give 141 points. Game 5 that ends the gentleman sweep 123 to 109. This was the Brooklyn Nets team that everybody thought was going to win the championship until James Harden's hamstring said sayonara. All right. So 
Let's get to the Ime Udoka era. Now we're getting somewhere. Brad Stevens has officially lost the team. I can't reiterate that. Enough. Um, Danny Ainge steps down. It's president of basketball operations, and Brad Stevens takes over. So while we know that Brad Stevens is a terrific basketball mind, at the same time, he was not enough of a hard ass to be the head coach, nor did he have the pedigree that these players would respect where he could be the head coach of a team with young dudes who have been handed too much too quickly due to injuries. So let's jump into the Ime Udoka era of the Boston Celtics because this is where I can really start to expound upon you just how important Ime Udoka being fired was. Brad Stevens steps down as head coach. Danny Ainge steps down as president of basketball operations. Okay. They bring in Ime Udoka. Ime Udoka, the guy that designed a great defense to stop both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown the year before that. They saw them in the playoffs. He was an assistant coach on the Brooklyn Nets. Ime Udoka was a very tough, rough-and-tumble player on those Spurs teams that won championships. Defensive background. No-nonsense player. And he turned out to be the perfect coach for the Boston Celtics because he was a no-nonsense coach. He didn't deal with the bad shots. He wouldn't tolerate the bad shots. He wouldn't tolerate the lack of effort on defense. He wouldn't tolerate excuses. He wouldn't tolerate not giving your best effort every night. He didn't tolerate these things. So when you went into the 2022 season and you saw a different Boston Celtics team, that was Ime Udoka. That was a guy that the players respected and now in retrospect revered. Why was it that all of a sudden this team could get over the hump in the playoffs when faced with adversity? They'd been faced with adversity every year of their careers. They never got over that hump until Ime Udoka got there and made them physically tough, mentally tough, prepared every game to play. Something that this Boston Celtics team this year was not. All it took was a coaching change. It was basically the same core, but you add Ime Udoka. They were put into adverse situations during the course of the playoffs, including a game seven. They had to win on Miami's home floor to get to the finals, and they did it. They got to the finals. Ime Udoka made a mistake in playing drop coverage against Stephen Curry. I forgive it. When I see what the fuck Joe Mazzula did, I forgive it. 
I forgive Emei Udoka playing drop coverage against Stephen Curry. He felt like he had to play Al Horford. Al Horford obviously can't press up. He can't blitz it. He has to drop. Stephen Curry started getting open shots. The rest was history, okay? I forgive it. They got over the hump. If he was the head coach this year, I guarantee you see a different Boston Celtics team. Already went over the records last week. 45 and 17, first half of the season. 15 and 7, second half. Speaks volumes. Anyway, 2022 season. Ime Udoka gets fired. So now this battle-tested team that at one point thought they could do everything themselves, mentally, physically, they've been introduced to an actual pro-level coach in his demeanor, in his expectations, in holding them accountable. That all gets thrown out the window. He has some sort of issue with a female in the Boston Celtics organization. Some sort of affair that was going on. Celtics are very fucking vague about this. Rumors come out about a whole bunch of stuff that happened. They don't debunk any of them. They simply suspend him. Then fire him at the All-Star break. And make Joe Mazzula the substitute teacher... They make him the permanent head coach. And I'm sorry, but I love being right. And I hate telling people I told you so, but I fucking told you so. They were not over it. Woj confirmed that during this series against the Heat. They were never over it. And from everything that they did hear that wasn't from the organization, they thought it was overblown. They thought it was just something that should have been handled in HR and get the fuck over it. So they were never over it because this was the first guy that convinced them that they could get over the hump. It's not even about rah-rah speeches. It's his demeanor. It's his expectations of them. He was a player's coach. That was also a hard ass. Expected the most out of them and got it. Defensively, offensively. Crunch time situations. They lose that. So all of this unfinished business, that goes out the window. They go back to the same... You know what it's like? It's like if you have a kid that is a foster child. Or better yet a kid that is in a household with parents that aren't very good parents. Don't give the kid enough attention. Don't teach him the right values in life, right from wrong. You finally get him out of that home. You bring him to a home with a couple of loving parents that while they show him all the love and support that he deserves and needs, they hold him accountable for the things that they teach him. When he fucks up, there's consequences. When he gets in trouble, there's consequences. True consequences. He starts to become disciplined. 
He starts to learn right from wrong. He starts to build a reputation as a kid that you can trust with simple tasks. Self-efficient. And you know what happens? One of those parents either pass away or go away for whatever reason. Maybe there's a divorce. Either way, that bond gets broken. You take that foundation out of his life. What does he go back to? He goes back to what he knew. Because it had not been ingrained in him for long enough. You can't go robbing stores. You can't go stealing shit out of convenience stores. You can't go jacking cars. You can't go doing any number of things, right? He goes back to what he knows. What he knows is what was taught to him for a number of years that turned out to be bad habits that turned him into this juvenile kid, right? And obviously this is an extreme example, but you get where I'm going with that. Bad habits that are temporarily broken are not permanently broken. Bad habits in any walk of life have to be completely eradicated from your life for an extended period of time. If you stop eating late for a week, stop eating at like 9, 10 o'clock, you'll see a difference. But the urge for you to stop eating late will not go away for an extended period of time. Mentally, in your head, you will still be telling yourself, eh, it's okay. I could do it once, right? Just once a week. Right. You'll start to you'll go from cold turkey to uh, I'll just eat it, you know, just this one time because I've been out late. So, you know, I just it's OK. It's like when people say they're going to go on a diet. Oh, you know, it's OK. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll go back tomorrow. I'll be fine. Right. Just one time. One time turns into two, two turns into three, three turns into four. You get where I'm going with this. The Boston Celtics had their bad habits eradicated for one year. And they went right back to him this year, getting complacent, not playing defense, taking bad shots. All that shit happened because that positive reinforcement that they got and the guy that was going to be on their ass about that, about those bad shots, about not playing defense, he's gone. That constant is gone. That consistency is gone. So they let off the gas. Naturally. I hope you understand where I was going with that, with the, you know, juvenile teenager that gets put into a good home and then his, you know, the person that is a father figure in his life even passes away or now, you know, something happens where he doesn't have access to that stability, to that wisdom anymore. That's the Boston Celtics. So that's why you go six with the Atlanta Hawks. That's why. That's why you're going six games with the Atlanta Hawks in which DeJounte Murray was suspended for one of them. And that's why you, and this is going to bring it all full circle, lose a game seven at home, going away. 
to an inferior team after being down by three. 3-0. You were down three games to none against the Miami Heat, a play-in team. And you lose at home going away. This is where my notes come into play. Because, see, I've, I've told you the history. I've told you the anthology of this core, of Marcus Smart, of Jalen Brown, of Jason Tatum. I've shown you the habits of thinking they have everything figured out from a young age through the IT era, through the Kyrie era, through the Kemba Walker era, which, quite frankly, was the most detrimental to me Viewing it from the outside, that era was the most detrimental. Brad Stevens created a monster. Danny Ainge created a monster, and now he couldn't control it. Gordon Hayward gets hurt. Game one of the season is never right really again for the Celtics, which means these youngsters have to play big minutes. Kyrie Irving gets hurt. Got to play big minutes now, Terry Rozier. Naturally, they were feeling themselves. And let's just bring it all home now. Game seven against Miami. At home. You lose 103 to 84. All right, so let's let's talk about it. Brogdon was injured. Brogdon was injured. He had... Some type of torn tendon in his forearm. Had no business playing. One game six without him. Great player. Off the bench. Did not need him. His minutes were not beneficial last night. That's the number one mistake. That I'm going to list. For Joe Missoula. Upsetting that. Chemistry. That was built the game before that. Without. Malcolm Brogdon. Horford played too many minutes. Al Horford finally hit a couple of threes last night. Up to that point, he was shooting terribly. He was a liability in pick and roll and still was last night. Those were not his minutes to be played. Joe Mazzulla. If only he could see it. See, because playing Al Horford, it forces you to play in a drop or you're going to switch everything one or the other. If you switch everything, they're going to drive by him. If you play in a drop, they're going to get open threes like they did. They were way too far off of Caleb Martin last night. They were way too far off of Gabe Vincent. Then when you try to switch everything off ball and you got Duncan Robinson coming free off screens. Okay, it was not a good strategy, period, to play Al Horford last night. That many minutes. So, I mean, the thing is, once Boston started switching everything, it somewhat shut down the open threes that they were getting, but it it involved taking Al Horford off the court. He was an offensive liability, too. Okay, then you start building momentum. Bad threes from Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown who were taking bad shots. 
that as I talked about LeBron's threes in the Denver series, they operated as basically live ball turnovers. Miami's out running. That's how bad those shots were. Marcus Mark came down. It was one on five. He did a pirouette and just took a three. The fuck? Jalen Brown, 18 seconds in the shot clock. He just takes a three. Like, come on, bro. Move the fucking ball. You're trying to wait for the zone. You're trying, oh, I'm not trying to wait for the zone to be set because our fucking, I'll get to that in a second. Our zone offense is fucking terrible in the pros as if we've never seen a zone before. Okay, so, so there's that. So let's get to Jason Tatum's ankle. I'm not going to bash Jason Tatum for this game. He was hurt. He got hurt in the very first play, I think. Jason Tatum and Derek White are the two best decision makers in PNR on this team. Because Jason Tatum had no explosion, he really had no threat of driving to the basket, you couldn't run pick and rolls with him, which goes back to something I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But he had no explosion, so there was no point in running pick and roll with him. They were just going to blitz him, and he was going to have to pick the ball up, and he was going to have to find an open guy. Derek White was playing exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. They they are the two best decision makers in pick and roll. Jalen Brown is not. Okay? Tatum being hurt completely fucked up their entire pick and roll game. The ball was in his hands way too much. And then he felt like he had to dribble into fucking traffic, which he did the same shit last year in that Golden State series. What do you have, eight turnovers last night? I've never in my life seen somebody get ripped clean, picked clean, dribbling the ball as much as Jalen Brown. Ever in the history of my fucking existence, I've never seen it. It was like a running joke. Bro, if I took shots for every time he got stripped, I would have fucking been drunk on my couch last night. So, I mean, this is where coaching comes into play. If you know Tatum can't move, if you know he can't explode, why don't you put him in the mid-fucking post? He's 6'7", and he's one of your best decision makers with the ball in his hands. Why would you not put him in the mid-post, Joe Missoula? When they're not in zone... Why would he not be in the mid post? Why would a guy that can't fucking dribble the ball through traffic or chooses to dribble the ball through traffic way too often, Jalen Brown, why would you not put him in the mid post? Oh, you know what it comes back to? Playing Al Horford when it should have been fucking Sam Hauser. Because then you would have had the floor spread. Then you could have put Jalen Brown in the mid post. You could have put Al Horford in the mid post. But no, you're too smart for that, right? Cool. Great stuff, bro. Okay, so the other thing is when you're switching everything with Jimmy Butler, they really just, they were running pick and rolls. They were running double pick and rolls, trying to get 
in isolation for him. And for the most part, when we didn't have Al Horford in the game, they could switch everything. They didn't have to play a drop. And then the isolation defense on him between Derek White and Marcus Smart was pretty good. Even with Jason Tatum not really being able to move, he defended Jimmy Butler pretty well in isolation. But, you know, you got to have Al Horford on the court, right? Way too much attention being paid to Bam Adebayo and pick and roll. I'm sorry, Bam Adebayo at times, you know, from really most of these last three games hasn't looked like he wanted to shoot the ball. Why are you giving so much attention to him? Why? You're so worried about the lob game? You'd rather give up free layups? Come on, man. The NBA is all about defensively. There's something you're going to choose to live with. You can't stop everything. You're telling me you were choosing to live with open layups? Over lobs? Come on, man. This, this, is, this is the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Okay, I mean, he was unqualified. He looked like a deer in the fucking headlights. And this is just simple X's and O's stuff. This isn't anything, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's simple X's and O's, right? It, it's, when you get down to it, What's Boston's problem? Actually, before I get to that, let's let's I'll, I'll talk about that after I so so. All right, the season's over. Now we're looking at Jalen Brown getting perhaps three hundred million dollars from a team. I would love to just take my dick out and slap everybody in the face that claimed there was no gap between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Just take it out and fucking line y'all up and slap y'all in the face with my dick. Because y'all are fucking stupid. Y'all take a couple of games during the regular season and bring this dumbass argument up. Y'all were having fun making that argument in the playoffs when there was way more attention being paid to Jason Tatum than Jalen Brown. And when Jason Tatum came out and had that game against the Philadelphia 76ers where he closed them out despite the fact he didn't play well for the first three quarters, y'all motherfuckers all of a sudden shut the fuck up and y'all got silent. You could hear a mouse piss on fucking cotton when it came to that, right? And now that he went and had an abysmal closeout game yet again, now y'all want to come and start talking shit about Jalen Brown. No, 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 no. Y'all don't get to do that. You dumbass Boston Celtics fans. You fickle fuckers that sat here and talked all this shit about Jason Tatum and claimed, oh, there's not really too much difference between Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. And because Jalen Brown's really a better defender, you could arguably say he's better. Y'all are fucking cooked. Y'all are fucking cooked. I bet you thought Michael Jordan wasn't, you know, as good as Scottie Pippen anymore in 94 because the motherfucker went and they went to the playoffs and lost to the damn Knicks without Jordan. Y'all the same motherfuckers, right? Y'all probably thought that shit too. Not really much difference between Scottie and Michael, and Scottie's a better defender, so he might be better. That's what y'all sound like. And no, before any of you motherfuckers... No, I'm not comparing Jason Tatum to Michael Jordan, dumbass. I'm comparing the clear best player to the clear second best player. 
It's obvious to anybody with a fucking brain and two functioning eyes. So I don't want to hear any more about that shit, okay? You want to help Jalen Brown pack his fucking bags after you were helping him unpack them with your fickle asses a couple of games ago? Spare me. So now that so now that we know there's a possibility that Jalen Brown is leaving, what do the Celtics actually need to do to stay a contender? It's pretty simple to me. You need to get a big that is capable of playing with his back to the basket so that you can have more offense off ball that involves dumping the ball into the post occasionally and having people cut off the ball. You ever notice how everybody said Golden State was a three-point shooting team and that's all they did was shoot threes? Yet you'd find Klay Thompson in the high post. Yet you'd find him on the elbow. Yet you'd find him in the pinch post. Same with Kevin Durant. There could be offense created off of that. Their coach, Joe Mazzulla, is not fucking smart enough to see this. But I can. How? How can you not see that there will be no offensive movement off ball if you have the floor spread and have a dude isolating at the top of the key or you want to keep running screens to get some type of, you want to keep running PNR to get some type of fucking switch just to go back to isoing? That's why there's no off ball movement. There's no post presence. You don't have to be deep in the post on a fucking box. You could be on the elbow. You could be in the pinch post. You could be in the high post. What the fuck? It makes no sense. So, if Jalen Brown's going to walk, fine. Thank you for your years of service, sir. Let's find a big that can put the ball in the basket with his back to the basket. That can pass fairly well out of the post. That can make a mid-range jump shot. Shot so Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum, I'm sorry, can run pick and roll with him and pick and pops. Open up the offense, cause teams to actually scramble when they're defending us. So it's not just hard shots going in or dribble penetration that leads to threes. That's why we're taking forty-something threes a game. It's X's and O's. In the playoffs, you have to get good shots, and those good shots can't always be threes. Get somebody that can play with his back to the basket or get a coach that can figure out to put Jason Tatum on the fucking elbow. Plain and simple. That is how you salvage this team. X's and O's. Get Jason Tatum in the pinch post. Get him on the elbow. Get him on a box. Get him in the post somewhere where he can run the offense from there. He's good enough. He's learned to pass out of double teams. He's learned to look for his teammates. It took a year with Ime Udoka, and he actually carried that on this year. The only time you see somebody in the post on this team is when they choose to get fucking Marcus Smart in the paint. Everything, or I should say in the post, everything goes well for the Celtics when they have Marcus Smart posting up. You ever notice that? Every time he wants to take advantage to a, of a smaller guard, good shit always happens. I wonder why. He's always finding cutters. 
They didn't do that this series nearly enough. And they didn't do it with Jason Tatum. So, I don't give a fuck who it is. I do give a fuck who it is. Let me take that back. It better not be fucking Carl Anthony Towns. Okay? Somebody with a backbone. You trade for a player that has some sort of post presence. That can shoot a jump hook. That can drop step and put the ball in the fucking basket. On the box. Or a face up big. That can hit a jump shot from about 15 feet. Or can run pick and pop. And that's how this offense opens up. Everybody cuts off of that. It's natural. That's spacing. I don't want to hear any more about I'm being too hard on Joe Missoula. No, bro. I'm not. I don't give a fuck if you're a first-year coach. This is shit that I can see. And I ain't never coached a game in the NBA. I ain't never coached a game anywhere. But it's fucking obvious, bro. All the basketball people I talk to, people like Scott OG, my boy. They all say the same shit. When I point this stuff out, they always co-sign it. Why? Because it's fucking true. Your best offense can't be driving kick three. Isolation, secondary fast break, pull up three. No. In the half court, you have to have some sort of space. You have to have a post presence. Nobody's worried about Robert Williams in the post. I'm sorry. I love Robert Williams. Nobody's worried about him in the post. He can barely catch the ball without getting bumped and dropping it. So that's where the Celtics need to go from there. If they're not going to bring Jalen Brown back and bang their head up against the wall and, you know, keep doing the same shit over and over again, expecting a different result, if you want to actually stop doing that, okay? I know Brad Stevens has this affinity for all these players that he basically, you know, jump-started his career with. I get it. Sometimes you got to know when to fucking walk away. Know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. I told y'all this is going to be a rant. So, the Boston Celtics season, what do we consider this? It's obviously a disappointment. It also proves to me that based on what the players know, it was a bullshit firing of Ime Udoka. They don't seem to be getting over that anytime soon. Jalen Brown yesterday sounded pretty much like a guy with his foot out the door in a post-game press conference. I'm indifferent. I don't I I I can't find my I can't find a way to care either way about Jalen Brown coming back. I just can't. This team needs a change in dynamic, though. Okay, if you think about the IT years, why was the movement off ball so, you know, so fluid? Because a lot of times they had Al Horford in the high post. At least he'd face up. He'd find guys. He'd cut off ball, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes they'd put Jay Crowder's bum ass down in the post. But they always had a post presence of some kind just to make the defense account for that. And that's the genius of Brad Stevens. But he he just wasn't the coach for those guys. It was a bad situation. All in all, I I mean it, it's 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 one of the most unique situations we've seen of young guys getting drafted high, having to play big minutes in the playoffs, feeling like they have everything figured out, but they really didn't. 
and it carried over and it carried over and it carried over and it carried over and then it stopped with Ime Udoka and then it came right back. Just like a virus infecting the locker room. Shout out to Derek White. Shout out to Jason Tatum. Those two have shown a lot of maturity. You know, I, I can't bash Jason Tatum for a lot of the things I'm talking about. You know, I can pinpoint Jalen Brown. I can pinpoint Marcus Smart. Jason Tatum, he's been a good soldier. There's a lot of times the offense has been stagnant. He's tried to get it going. They're running the system that they're in. But that's been that that's that's my take, man. I I just There needs to be a change in dynamic offensively. Jason Tatum has a 27, 28, you know, to 30 score per game with a post presence that can draw the defense, have some sort of attention on him. Jason Tatum can spot up too, off the ball, cut off the ball, get some easy buckets that way. They'll have a chance to compete. But if this shit stays the same and you bring Jalen Brown back, it's just... I don't see how this changes. I just don't. Especially with this guy as coach. And Joe is not going anywhere because Brad Stevens loves him. He couldn't wait to elevate him when Ime Udoka got fired. So, this has been Power Hour with Free Royal. Um, as I always say, I am on any platform you can find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, obviously if you're listening on YouTube right now. Um, you know, Pandora. Anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Just type in Power Hour with Free Royal. I will be there. Right there in your face with these unfiltered opinions. Um, I will be back next week with a new episode. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll find something. Always do. But yeah, man. Y'all be good. Have some more content coming for you guys soon. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Leave your predictions in the comment section. And let me know what y'all think about everything I've said this episode. Until then, y'all be productive. Y'all be safe. Peace.